Sinners, it's Monday night, so we're back for another face of the Sin Every Day podcast. If you've never listened before, I'm your host, Bryce Reed. I'm watching 366 movies in the year 2024, and this show is my weekly diary where I talk about all of the movies that I watched this week, and... uh and uh, to try to try to make sense of uh, the the journey that is this uh, uh, challenge, and uh, give me my feelings on all of the fucking uh, movies that I've been watching this week. I watched eleven movies this week. Uh, so again, still keeping ahead in pace, pushing forward in pace. Coming up now, as we get to the end of month two, of almost being like a month ahead of schedule like seven short of being a month ahead of schedule i won't quite get there by the end of february but almost a month ahead of schedule i'm at 83 films as the as we uh get here i've had a pretty great time this week you're gonna notice there's a lot of netflix material an overwhelming majority of netflix material i finally got access to a Netflix account. I didn't want to pay for it because quite frankly, their prices have gotten absurd. Um, but we are firmly now in the, the point of the streaming, the streaming wars are over kind of almost definitively at this point. Um, basically everybody's given up the ghost to Netflix. Uh, Netflix ended up, uh, taking the crown, which they were the front runner to win the whole time. Hopefully this, this whole era of every studio having their own 10, 15, $20 a month streaming service with ads has been pretty anti-consumer anyway. Uh, I think it, it kind of started out with this idea of it being a, a pro-consumer move because there would be competition and you can vote with your wallet, but they're all pretty much the same. And in order to watch... Uh, all the movies you love, unless you're a particular fan of a particular studio, like you, you got to have more than one of them. So it ends up being like pretty any consumer. And at this point, Netflix is the only one who hasn't sort of given up on the, the whole idea of the thing. I mean, I like Max, but that dumb idiot that they hired to run that company David Zaslov is completely screwing the pooch. And at this point, licensing a lot of his best exclusive material to Netflix and other services, because he's a complete short gains person who is going to ride out of here on his golden parachute after he's fucked the entire content plan for the company. Um, and it's not going to matter. He's going to go to some other company and fuck them up too. And, uh, it's a a real cry and shame because for a minute there, Max, I think, had a legitimate shot. He had such a library. I mean, Disney has a library, but but Max had a library uh, with uh, the HBO banner, with the uh, um, the Warner Media banner, like all of that stuff together. They added Discovery. Discovery is not a value add as much as David Zaslav likes to think it is. It's just not. It's like nobody cares. Um, 
but you know and they really uh really had a shot there for a moment and uh and now i'm seeing it all over the place of like now that i finally have the netflix account there's like a ton of the batman's on there like a ton of warner media properties that are like why am i why why am i even signing up for max at this point if the best stuff is just going to make it to netflix and and the other stuff is just going to be put on tubi and shit like that anyway so why am I even here? Why am I even doing this? And you know, and then talks about uh, Paramount getting out of the game. Talks about NBC getting out of the game. Talks about the two of them potentially merging. You know, it's just like it's over. So I finally got access to a Netflix account, and uh, I watched a lot of stuff on Netflix this week. Uh, they've got a good collection of stuff over there. It's it's very clear that they're winning uh, because there's. Uh, a great selection of content. I went in and as I usually do when I get access to a new service, I went in and just added a bunch of things to my list. And, uh, there's a ton of stuff I wanted to watch. There was a ton of stuff that I was like, I do it. You know, I added a, I was able to add a bunch of stuff to my list. And there's a lot of times I'll get on one of these services like Paramount Plus, for instance, and I'll go through their whole catalog and there's like five movies that I have any interest in whatsoever. And that's me, you know, a person who's like sort of shooting first and asking questions later when it comes to adding stuff to my list. Even I'm like, dude, like five of these maybe. Whereas Netflix, it was a lot and it's still a lot. Like there's still a lot on there and still a lot that I haven't been able to look at. And so, uh, you know, a, a couple of years ago, in 2020, 2021, I would have been like Max is the best value. Um, but having been through the Max catalog recently, it's become way more scant than it used to be, weirdly. And a lot of that stuff is going to, <laughs> you know, I was really, I was fucking shocked at how much Warner Media, like new Warner Media content is just on Netflix at this point. It's like, well, then we're just done over here and max that's we're just folding up shop that's the deal the bummer um but hey you know uh good for good for netflix i guess I, I, a future where i don't know what's worse a future where one company owns all of streaming or a future where a bunch of companies are in the streaming game and they're all colluding um i think they're kind of both equally spinning circles of hell, to be honest. Um, but I did manage to watch a couple of movies. We're going to get into the movies. I started off on Monday. I got a Blu-ray disc uh, for cheap the other day uh, at the Bull Moose Music uh, for Atomic Blonde, which I had heard a lot about people being like, oh, this movie's awesome. I think this movie's pretty good. Great by the end. I feel like once the twists came out, I was like, okay, that's cool, you know? Um, and the violence was cool, and Charlize is naked and making out with women a lot of the movie. And that rules, you know? But uh, there was just a lot of, like, underwritten spy talk in the movie like oh i'm a spy and it's like you're not a spy i'm a spy and then it's uh, which i was just like dude like i 
what? You know, at points where I feel like it was trying to confuse me so that I would think it was deeper than it really was. When in reality, I was just like, this is kind of fucking boring, to be honest. Um, the action was great. I think the action is handled by some sort of John Wick adjacent talent. Um, and it feels that way. It feels like that sort of modern John Wick informed action movie. Uh, and Charlize does a great job and, uh, you know, I enjoyed it for what it was. Like I said, by the time the, uh, the twists came around in the movie and they started and basically the, the end of the third act, I was like, okay, this is great. But this, I mean, this movie fluctuated wildly throughout the movie from like, it's a two to like, oh, it's a three to like, nah, it's a two to like, oh, okay, it's a three. And then at the end, I was like, it's a four, you know, it's great. But, uh, but even then, now that I'm thinking back to it, I'm like, that's probably an overreaction. It's probably a three. You know, and I have noticed, you know, there are going through this challenge. There have been a number of movies where it's like, you know, I've, I've, I watched it. I finished it. Part of the whole point of this is that I'm supposed to tell you how I felt about it. And I'm kind of here on the other side of it. Like, I'm not really sure how I felt about it. I thought it was good. You know, it's, uh, it's nice to look at and the action is good. And the third act saves it. Um, but there were large swaths of the movie where I was like, is this is watching this movie better than taking a nap? And I'm not sure that yes is the answer. Um, and I think that's a problem with the movie. I think that's probably why we haven't seen an atomic blonde too at this point. Although I guess it's based on a vertigo series, only press series, something like that. Maybe there just isn't source material for a second one. Or maybe it did terribly at the box office. Who knows? Um, But yeah, that's fine. Atomic Blonde. You know? You can get it on a Blu-ray, I know for a fact, for like five, six bucks. So give it a shot. I watched, you know, on Tuesday. No, not Tuesday. On Wednesday, I watched All Eyes on Me. I for the life of me, like for the, uh, for months have been like, well, how come they haven't made a biopic about Tupac? And then it turns out they already had, that's why I, I, uh, didn't think that they'd made one is because they already had, and it just flew under the radar because it, uh, was, you know, good, but not great, uh, is how I felt about the movie. And they don't want to, slander anybody libel anybody or whatever. So on, you know, in order to make, it's not like if you made a Marvin Gaye biopic, everybody knows who shot Marvin Gaye, right? Everybody like you're not outing anybody for, for showing what happened. So you can kind of tell a story with that. And I don't know why they haven't made a Marvin Gaye biopic, especially Leslie Odom jr. He'd kill it. But, I, in the case of Tupac, because it's still like an unsolved mystery thing, 
you can't, you know that in the ending, you just sort of have to present the official story and not really suggest anything further. Um, because of the way that that situation in that big air quotes investigation went, um, do I think it's wildly suspect that Tupac was sitting next to Suge Knight in a car and got shot to death and Suge Knight didn't catch a single bullet? Yeah, that's wild. That's crazy that there wasn't a deeper investigation into that. Um, like a number of celebrity deaths in the 90s. Um, but I mean, you know, I, that's why I think you haven't seen a Cobain biopic is because I don't think anybody wants to show that it was a suicide at the end and be like... <sighs> Uh, proven wrong by uh, mountains of evidence that continue to come out about the case. Um, so I, I, because they know they sort of have to present the ending as just like, here's what supposedly happened. Um, the rest of the movie is, you know, I saw someone say it's like a Wikipedia article. It is like, it's, you know, it's things that happen as they happen. There's not really a narrative through line to it. There's not really a lesson. There's not even really like, you know, I praise the Bob Marley movie for being like the myth, the mythological version of that person's life. This movie isn't even that it sort of just presents a vague overview of what happened. And it takes two and a half hours to do it as opposed to um, the Bob Marley movie, which took one and a half hours. So I ended up feeling like, you know, like it presents, if you didn't know anything about Tupac and you wanted to know the basic story, this presents that and it doesn't look horrible. And I do find it funny that the guy that they got to play Tupac, usually when you get an actor to play a character in a movie, they're more handsome than the person that they're playing. <laughs> In this case, it's like this dude's playing Tupac and like Tupac is like a, a gorgeous man. And this guy is like, he's fine. You know, like he's like reasonably close enough in terms of look, but like not really there. Kind of interesting. I see Tupac himself, an actor. So which they kind of glaze over in the movie. I just, you know, I I would have liked to have seen a lot more from it. I would have liked for it to have had something to say, but unfortunately due to the circumstances around his death, like there's not really anything you can say without sort of making big uh, suggestions that I'm not sure that they clearly they didn't want to make, you know, but I went from there to the next day I watched, I started off watching our, our Tubi movie of the week, nude nuns with big guns. Let me tell you about nude nuns with big guns. It delivers on the title in a big way. There are nude nuns. Some of them have big guns in the movie. Um, this is a, a story about a, if you didn't watch it. And if you didn't watch it, I suggest that you do. Because it was great. 2010's nude nuns with big guns. Uh, a uh, clergy. <laughs> collection of nuns and pastors end up getting roped in kind of uh, wrangled by a local 
bike gang that's into selling some drugs. Uh, also, big fans of sexual assault, and the movie won't let you forget it. These boys love it, uh, and uh, uh, it's graphic about it to uh, to a point of uh, being very unpleasant. And yeah, you know, I think they're trying to sell that the bad guys are bad guys. I just don't think you needed to show me this much of it. I get it, you know, like it would have been enough. Just have them sell drugs to kids once or or whatever, or, you know, do the sexual assault thing. Just don't be so weirdly graphic about it that it seems like you're doing an Eli Roth thing where you're just filming your fetishes or whatever. So I'm, you know, I'm sitting here watching it. And, uh, you know, the things that I came for when it came to the movie, the nude nuns and the big guns, namely, all the way there. Super great. It wasn't a, a pain to look at. I thought it looked pretty good. I mean, it looked like a cheap movie trying to look more expensive than it was, but it's, it's fucking nude nuns with big guns. Like, that's what you're here for. If you're not expecting that, I don't know what you were looking for. And, uh... Yeah, uh, one of the new one of the nuns uh, who's uh, been sex trafficked to some degree as well, alongside the narcotics, is uh, uh, becomes a a, a a vigilante in her birthday suit uh, with with the guns and uh, and uh, ends up uh, you know taking a vendetta. Against the rest of the bike gang. Pretty cool. Pretty sick uh, premise for a movie. Lots and lots. Of uh, female nudity. And uh, lots of action. You know. This movie gave me exactly what I was looking for from it. And that's why I got three stars. I watched it on Tubi. You know. Uh, All Eyes on Me by the way was another blu-ray another fairly cheap blu-ray that i picked up but uh new nuns with big guns i had a great time this week with it it wasn't necessarily a gem but uh it gave me what it told me i was gonna get which i really appreciated but i finally got to netflix on that day on on wednesday and started going for netflix content big time and i watched Something's got to give. Why was this the first choice? Look, I like I told you, I went through a bunch of stuff. I added it to my list. And by the time I got to the end, I was exhausted and I needed something light. And then on top of that, before I started this show, I had a, I, a personal journey I was in the middle of doing where I was... I was trying to watch every Keanu Reeves movie ever. And I'm still kind of trying to do that. Although admittedly, I've gotten to the point now where a lot of the movies that are left on the list are ones that are kind of, were kind of hard to find at the time. Something's got to give made it to Netflix. Something's got to give stars, Jack Nicholson and Diane Keaton uh, and Keanu Reeves in uh, one of the parts, but it's mostly a Jack Nicholson, Diane Keaton movie. And Keanu, Keanu plays a, a, a bit part in it. And, uh, you know, I thought it was pretty good. I thought something's got to give was like a four. Was it a four? Did I do? Because I remember distinctly 
Maybe I'm thinking of a different movie this week. No, not that one. Four stars. Yeah. Because I had thought that I had gotten emotional during Something's Gotta Give, but I, I don't... Thinking back, I'm thinking of a different movie. I'm thinking of a, a romantic... I'm thinking of uh, uh, Me Before You, maybe. Um, But I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I... I Watching this movie was interesting. There's, there, I mean, there's several kind of parts of this movie that are like, yeesh, that's kind of gross. You know, uh, Jack Nicholson, he starts out the movie. He's dating Diane Keaton's daughter, who is easily young enough to be his own daughter by a long shot. They end up stuck at a cabin with the mom who's just met him or whatever. They start trying to get intimate. He has a heart attack. They, you know, and, and Diane Keaton's character has to like nurse him back to health, you know, and she's been kind of, you know, a, a alone type for a long time since her divorce several years ago. And they both sort of fall in love with each other, but Jack Nicholson's character is still married to like being a playboy, even though he's clearly like on the the backslide of that. And he's been able to mitigate it because he's rich, you know? So like, it hasn't really mattered all that much, but he falls in love with a woman, his own age, who he actually really connects to on a level beyond the like physical. And it shakes him up real bad. And, uh, he has to sort of find, a way to make peace with the fact that he's not, you know, 26 anymore or whatever. I thought that was a really cool theme, even if it was kind of like, yeah, like, dude, <laughs> come on, you know? Um, but I thought it was really well done uh, for the type of movie that it is, for the things that it was trying to say. I had a good time with it. Um I'm not, uh, you know, this show is not against a uh, a romantic film, a romantic premise, a story of uh, relationship woes, you know. So I'm, I'm a, I, I, just, I had a wonderful time with the film. Four stars. I think it's great. Um, you know, you just gotta kind of, uh, but like my mom, you know, loves movies like this and am i like you gotta go see something's gotta give no because i honestly think i think the like weird gross awkwardness of the beginning part of the movie would shut her down honestly i think she'd watch like the weird the weirdness of the sort of opening part of the movie and be like diane keaton why do you want to be with this man? And yeah, I mean, there's some of that in the movie. There's quite a bit of it in the movie where it's like, yeah, I mean, like, even if you later found that you really clicked with this guy in a big way, I think it would be difficult to get over the fact that you met him when he was literally uh, trying to fuck your daughter. That's wild, you know, even and be like oh yeah i want to be with a guy who like that would be his ambition or whatever maybe it's like oh all men are men sort of thing but 
That sounds like an excuse to me. Um, I watched Homecoming, a film by Beyonce. It's very interesting. It's, I believe, the first concert film that we've watched here on the show. Not necessarily by design. It, they're just kind of hard to access at this point. Netflix doesn't really focus on them. I mean, a lot of them go to... Um, what's that thing? I don't even know if it's called that anymore. It's one of these ones that keeps changing its name. But it had... It's not Palladia. Palladia is the, uh, the television version. I don't even fucking know anymore. But they have one. They have a streaming service that's specifically like concert films and music content. I don't know that they really apply to what this challenge is. They technically count as movies. They're technically trackable. I would say that a concert film is a movie. And it's good to include different types of things. I actually want to watch. We haven't watched a documentary yet. Which I think is kind of weird. I was thinking about that the other day because I bought the documentary Marley, because of the uh, Bob Marley movie, I realized I didn't have it, and I love that documentary, so I bought a copy of it, and I was like, I really haven't watched a documentary on the thing yet. It seems to fall kind of outside of the purview of uh, 366 movies. I mean, granted, you know, I got friends that are that track a ton of movies too, trying to track as many movies as they can. They're tracking like short films and stuff. Like I, I think I talked about last week. So I think I could allow myself concert films, especially cause I love concert films so much. But when it comes to homecoming, a film by Beyonce, it's not just uh, a concert film. It's also a propaganda film. Like you wouldn't fucking believe. Oh my God. It's literally an advertisement for Beyonce as a person. Um, and yet it tells you very little about her. It's so sanitized. It's a movie about how fucking great she is. And I'm pretty sure she was involved in the directing or editing or whatever. It's called a film by Beyonce. So I have to assume so. Uh, it's for the most part, a live tape of what seems like two performances at Coachella in I assume 2018 because this thing came out in 2019. But maybe it, maybe it was that quick. Maybe it was a 2019, 2019 thing. But it's her sort of, uh, uh, to a certain extent, pantomiming with uh, a bunch of uh, highly, highly choreographed uh, people on stage. It's a big spectacle. And to a certain extent, you know, it's interesting because it, is it, does it, do I look at what is happening on stage there and think that that qualifies as a live music concert? Probably not. I mean, I just watching the tape and granted it's hard watching the tape because you know that the tape has overdubs that because it's a live tape, they've had overdubs since the beginning, you know, that the tape has overdubs, but also I'm watching what's happening on stage and I'm like, they're on a track. They're 100% on a fucking track. Um, she has vocals on a track. There are several times during the thing where she just stops singing entirely in order to do the choreographed dances that she has with her dance people. This 
particular aspect of live music shows that has really taken root in the sort of post boy band pop music era does absolutely nothing for me. It's, it's just feels like complete filler. And I'm sure that there are people that it works for people who just love watching people dance. Uh, I got, I got no interest personally in that type of thing. You know, if it happens in a, a musical movie, I, that's, it's fine, you know, but even then I'm kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm there for the singing and, uh, the story, the dancing to me, I'm like, eh, whatever, you know? And so because I'm so thoroughly not impressed by dance and because I, I am, uh, so staunchly against some of the uh, rampant, uh, quite frankly, cheating that's going on on stage. Uh, yeah, I found a number of things in this film to be uh, uh, offensive to my sensibilities. Then again, I'm not a Beyonce fan. This film was not for me. It's for her base. Base like the people that they shot to frequently in the audience at Coachella. And I guarantee you not a single fucking one of them cared that she wasn't singing the song for a lot of it or cared that any of the instruments on stage were actually in the track or cared that there was a lot of dancing there to hide the fact that they weren't really performing live music all that much. Um, or cared about any of it. Nobody in that crowd gave a shit. They were in the same room as Beyonce. And Beyonce was doing a Beyonce thing. They're going to get to tell their kids. You know I saw her live once at Coachella. Here's the live tape. That's what they're there for. You know when people buy tickets to a concert. They're buying tickets to be a part of something. That only happens once. That's the whole point you know. It's more than necessarily what's going on on stage. It's about the fact that something is happening at all in a moment. You get to be a part of a moment, you know, a lot of people in their day to day lives, they don't really get to be a part of a moment all that much. And that, you know, that's what a big spectacle concert like this is about. That's what any concert is about, but that's what a big spectacle concert like this is about for sure. And so that was cool to see. And they stopped in the middle of it, you know, and talked about like how Beyonce is the most wonderful person that ever lived because she uh, thinks about uh, hiring people of every color to put on stage for her big uh, hour and a half dance show or whatever. And uh, talked about how difficult it is for her to be. Um, you know, a mother and a huge pop star and uh, a multimillionaire and, you know, <laughs> which, uh, the, which like, uh, yeah, hey, don't maybe don't mention the part that she has more money than she could spend in 10 lifetimes. And so, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> it's really, you know, anyone could do it is all I'm saying. Um, not the voice or the being gorgeous part, but like when it's a bunch of glad handing about like, oh, you have no idea how hard she works or whatever. It's like, yeah, I, I mean, I have some idea. I know how much money she has. So like, 
I know working that much is a lot easier when you pay for a nanny. And I know keeping your body tight is a lot easier when you can pay for a personal trainer and a private chef. And, uh, you know, I know having the best singing voice in the world is, you know, part of that's talent, part of that's uh, tenure, part of that's uh, training, you know, but uh the big thing is training. The fact that she can afford, you know, there's no vocal coach in the world that is off limits to her at any point, you know, and she can go and do that. And so, yeah, I mean, like sitting here and watching this propaganda film about how great Beyonce is, it's like, sure, she's fine. But it's also like when you don't mention how much easier these things are when you have millions and millions of dollars, you're intentionally not telling the whole story. Um, and instead you want to pin it all on, Oh, it's because I'm the hardest worker ever. It's like, no, I mean like I have no doubt that you work hard. I have no doubt that it's difficult to do what you do, but also it's a lot fucking easier when you have millions and millions of dollars to spend on it when you're getting paid millions and millions of dollars to do this one show and you're doing it twice. When there's a production company funding this entire movie that I'm watching because they know they're going to make money on it. Yeah. It's easier to do what you're doing <laughs> for sure. So yeah, I mean, there were a number of things in the film that I was like, really rubbed me the wrong way, <clears throat> but I thought the film was good for what it was. I think you just need to go into it knowing that it's, a uh, wildly vain puff piece about, uh, you know, one of the biggest pop stars of the last 30 years. Um, but hey, I enjoyed the performance to a certain extent, you know. Sex tape. I watched sex tape on uh, that same night on the 22nd. And uh, sex tape was a, uh, Again, propaganda. It was a, an Apple commercial. The whole movie was a commercial for iPads. Um, at first, it didn't seem like it was a commercial for iPads. The The premise of the movie is that uh, Jason Siegel is... Uh, his relationship with his wife has deteriorated sexually. And they've decided to make a sex tape, a three-hour-long sex tape using the new iPads uh, through a convoluted explanation. The best I can give is he's like, an uh, he buys iPads all the time. He's a radio DJ. He does this weird syncing thing, giving people his playlists or whatever. It's a thing that only really makes sense in a very small window of time and should have been obvious that that would have been the case because now you could just, it's just Spotify or Apple music. You could just send people your playlists. You don't have to do it through fucking giving people iPads or whatever, but I digress. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, they make a sex tape. He doesn't delete it. And as a result, it's sent out through the cloud to all of his iPads or whatever. And so it seems like kind of like a, a fear the cloud movie, which was kind of interesting um, when it starts, but then they get like three quarters of the way through the movie and Jason Siegel finds out that he can just like remotely delete all of the videos from all of the iPads that he has out. Um, and it sucks all the tension out of the movie. Um, that being said, 
I laughed quite a bit during the movie. I thought a lot of the jokes were pretty funny. Jack Black shows up and is pretty great. He as the owner of uh you porn, I think is is what they say he's the owner of. Uh and so and there's a point where he's like, "Who sent you?" and he starts going through and he's naming like even real porn sites. And then, he, you know, it starts getting into sites that are like just silly names that he made up or whatever. That was pretty funny. And Jason Siegel, I find very in, uh, entertaining and lovely to watch anytime I get the opportunity. So um, I thought it was good. Not great. Netflix, you know, pretty much par for the course with Netflix kind of throughout the week was like, that was good. I don't know that it was great, but that was good. But I watched the next day. It could happen to you from 1994. It could happen to you stars Nicolas Cage um, in the lead role. And Nicolas Cage plays a cop who uh, he comes up short on a tip at a cafe. And he goes, well, I got this lottery ticket. I'll come in tomorrow and either I'll pay you double what the tip would have been because they both just get coffee. So it's like nothing. I'll pay you double tip for the coffee or I'll give you half of what I win on this lottery ticket. And he goes home and he wins. And the lottery ticket, he wins Whatever it is, $10 million, I think. Is it? No, it's four. It's $4 million that he ends up winning after a bunch of other people win the lottery. It's like a huge jackpot, but then a bunch of other people win it. I like that it was kind of realistic about how the lottery actually works. When you think you're going to get this big sum and then you end up getting like kind of, you know, not that $4 million is nothing, but like. It's not enough that you could just spend frivolously and never work again for the rest of your life, especially not now. Like now it's kind of dog shit, to be honest. Um, They don't mention the tax thing either. So at the end of the day, it would probably be two, you know? Um, So they, he comes back, he gives her like every option to get out because Nicolas Cage, of course, has a wife who's like a gold digger and immediately sees dollar signs and is like, hey, you know, like just lie to her just and Nicholas Cage's character. He's such a good guy. He's such a, a, um, God, I'm trying to think of the guy now drawn a blank. Of course, as always, uh, what's his name? Stuart. God, fuck man. What is his name? Yeah, Jimmy Stewart. That is what I was thinking of. He's like a Jimmy Stewart character. So he's like, oh, I can't, I can't lie. You know, and he goes back uh, to the waitress. He gives her the $2 million. They end up uh, through a tangled web of everybody realizing that everyone around them turns into a dirtbag as soon as they win the lottery. The two of them fall in love. Spoiler alert. And, uh, hijinks ensue so it you know um solid movie better than i was expecting it to be enjoyed it very much sweet heartwarming story 
uh, unlike something that I've seen previously, uh, had this really old school feel to it. Nicolas Cage doesn't completely go wild with the character and it feels, uh, you know, it's like a, you, you love the guy immediately. The character that he's playing, you just you want him to to turn out okay. And it's a joy to watch him eventually turn out okay. You know? Um, so I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I watched No Hard Feelings on Netflix that same night. No Hard Feelings... Jennifer Lawrence? Is that who it is? It is. Jennifer Lawrence stars in uh, No Hard Feelings alongside Andrew Barth Feldman, who I'd never seen before, who did a, a pretty decent job. Jennifer Lawrence's character is like sort of like a townie um, in like a uh, rich people bought area in the northeastern United States. The rich people are moving in. Jennifer Lawrence's character, you know, townie, but like hot townie is her deal. And uh, she, her car gets repossessed and she takes an odd job uh, that she sees on Craigslist where they're like, hey, if you need a car, date our sheltered son who just stays in his room all the time. Bring him out of his shell. We'll give you a car. Uh, They're looking for someone uh, early 20s. She's early 30s. Uh, It's kind of a perfect role for her because I feel like everyone's met this girl. This like hot townie who's who's like, you know, everybody around her desires her. But also she it's kind of weird that she never went anywhere, you know. And uh, I think Jennifer Lawrence plays it hilariously. And there were a lot of good laughs in this movie. Um, and particularly a, a fight scene that takes place on the beach. Jennifer Lawrence completely full frontal nude as she beats the crap out of these kids, uh, uh, high school kids that steal her clothes. Very funny. Um, a lot of really, uh, pretty funny moments in the movie. I thought it was a, a three at the end of the day because I, I feel like <sighs> this story was so, it was so like weird and kind of gross in a lot of ways. And like, I was expecting it to come around to being something really beautiful and poignant poignant, but it, it, I don't feel like it really did at the end of the day. I feel like it just sort of was like, yeah, that was a thing that happened, you know? And I don't, I, I, it was one of those things where I was kind of teetering and waiting for the end to decide how I felt about it. And I, by the end of it, I felt like, yeah, okay. But like, huh, you know, and they both kind of help each other. She does bring him out of his shell and he helps her sort of like realize that like she needs to go someplace else and that she's not going to find it by like sort of waiting around for there to be 
for an answer to sort of materialize somewhere in her hometown. But yeah, it just, you know, I was kind of hoping for something more than that in the end. And I didn't really get something more than that out of the end of the movie. And I was kind of bummed about it. Uh, but that said, you know, it was funny. It was a, a and unusual and irreverent and all that, you know? So good. Again, good, but not great. Um, Mary and the Witch's Flower, I watched. I mean, if you, if I sat down five minutes into Mary and the Witch's Flower without having seen the logos at the beginning, right? And I was like, what's this? And whoever was watching it was like, oh, it's the new uh, uh, Miyazaki. It's a Miyazaki that you haven't seen. Uh, a Studio Ghibli film that you haven't seen. I would be like, yeah, okay. I think so. I mean, I would sit there and I I wouldn't be able to tell you that it wasn't. I would be able to sit there at the end of it and be like, not his best one, huh? You know, because that's how I felt at the end of it is like, this is, uh, I mean, if you were trying to ape Miyazaki, congratulations, you aped Miyazaki. I don't think that you out Miyazaki'd Miyazaki, you know, I don't think that you out Ghibli'd Ghibli. I think that you made one of those, but perhaps not a particularly good one. Like, it's still very much this, like, Alice in Wonderland thing that he's kind of famous for. But first of all, it's like, it's so bizarrely, I mean, it's the same kind of subject matter as Kiki's Delivery Service. And then it's, you know, they are kind of trying to push this point home of like, hey, maybe uh, Atomic Energy is a Pandora's box or whatever, which people can come down on either side of that argument, but um, I feel like the movie makes that point very uh, easily. I feel like it's probably a little heavy handed with it. Like by the third or fourth time it made it clear. That's what I was, what it was talking about. I was like, great. Yes, I know. Thank you very much yet. Mm, yep. I hear you. I understand. Um, And I agree with you to a point, but also, maybe have something else to say in this, you know, hour and a half, two hour movie that we're sitting here watching. Um, you know, but the animation is beautiful. Again, it's so Miyazaki. It's so studio Ghibli that you could put it right in there and be like, yeah, okay. I mean, it is like a, a cheaper looking one and like not, it feels like it probably needed a couple more passes in the writing room. But in that, you know, the sort of bigger thing it's missing is like, Miyazaki makes these films that are like Alice in Wonderland, but like Alice in Wonderland on an acid trip, like weird things happen and they're not explained. And you're just sort of like, yeah, okay. The lady that lives in the, in the top of the bathhouse has a, a three rolling heads that uh, turn into a giant baby. And they never like try to explain to you why, why there's three rolling heads that turn into a giant baby. There just is, you know? And, uh, that's like the Miyazaki hallmark. And like, people don't really like get that. 
I think when they first watched those movies, but like, that's kind of the brilliance of it. It's just like, there's this weird dream shit happening everywhere. Um, so you're not really sure if you're in reality or not. And it's like throughout his films, you know, like, and this movie just didn't have that sort of creative spark of like, here's another weird thing that was happening. That was just weird. Uh, there wasn't enough weird in the movie. And so it didn't quite feel like the thing it was trying to be. And then beyond that, like why I, you know, as a consumer, I'm like, sure, you know, make more, have more movies like this exist because I love studio Ghibli movies, Miyazaki movies. But like, why are you as an artist trying to make something that's just so that somebody else's work, (laughs) you know, it's very Greta Van Fleet or whatever, right? Like very just like, okay, but like, why? Um, especially if you're not really going to do anything with it that I don't think is done better in princess Mononoke or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, I don't really know that I feel like there was a big point behind this creatively or artistically. Um, but who knows? Maybe it was a commerce thing. Maybe it was just like, we know, I mean, I know that the guy who was involved in it was heavily involved in Ghibli movies. So it's, it, maybe it's, um, wrong of he went off he branched off he made his own company so maybe it's wrong of me to be to expect a metal musician to leave a metal band and start a new side project and play mariachi music or something like no it's going to be met he's going to play metal he's you know he made those types of movies at ghibli and now he goes and he makes them somewhere else because that's the type of filmmaker that he is so maybe that's the case but um, for me, it just felt like it was trying so hard to be somebody else's voice uh, to a degree that made the whole thing feel like diet to me. And that was maybe my biggest knock against it. That said, it's of such a quality that it was still a four stars for me, even though I, it sounds like I was really down on it. At the end of the day, like I couldn't really go lower than four stars because it is great. And without the added context of all of that like the movie's great on its own it's just if somebody was like oh i just saw this movie called mary and the witch's flower i would be like you've seen like the actual studio ghibli films right because they're they're better they're the same thing just just better um that being said i also watched that night the 24th nimona Boy, what a fucking movie, dude. I was absolutely blown away by Nimona. Nimona, I guess, Disney, uh, I guess, had this when they bought Fox. Fox had this in the in the sort of back burner. Blue Sky was going to put it out, and, and they were all ready to go on it. And then Disney was like, eh, you know, we'll delay it for years. And then I guess they were going to kill it. And Netflix was like, don't fucking uh, got a screening of it somehow. And we're like, dude, like what (laughs) you're going to, this movie is great. And oh man, what a beautiful film with so many things to, I mean, like it's a, it's a queer story for sure. It's about LGBTQ um, issues, but it's about an issue of being an outcast of being different um, 
And I got emotional s- several times throughout the film. Um, yeah, God, brilliant, brilliant movie that I adored uh, watching through and had such a wonderful time with. And uh, yeah, I mean, just absolutely magnificent. If you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix, five stars, uh, both on the automatic rule, but I, it would have been there anyway. Uh, because I just, and beyond that, you know, the big thing for me, in addition to like the story being really great and the characters being really great and wanting to, you know, being invested in the story that I thought was really cool. I want to give extra props to the setting of the movie. I think what's really wonderful about animated movies is that they can go and put you in a world that you've never seen before and you want to be in so bad. And this the setting of this movie is like a mixture of cyberpunk future and medieval nights and shit. And it's so rad. Uh, like as soon as the movie started, I was like, oh yeah, I want to be there, dude. Like that seems so fucking awesome. Uh, <laughs> and I had a blast with it, man. I just, everything about this, I couldn't gush more about this movie. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> I finish off the week on a high and rolled in with the third movie of the day. Although not technically uh, what how ha- Mary and the witch's flower finished after midnight on the 23rd. And I watched Nimona and Ramble last blood on the 24th. This is actually the first week where I skipped days because I was significantly ahead. Um, I still 11 movies and I, I kind of need to, to allow myself to do that, to sit back and go, you know, here I am at the end of the week. I, the reason I skipped days is worth noting is because I, I simply did not have time to watch something yesterday. There was too much going on, but you know, I need to be able to get to the end of the week and be like, I'm at it's Saturday. I'm at 11 movies. If I have time to put another one in, I will just to continue to bump those numbers up. But here I am sitting here at 11. I'm I'm good. I'm ahead of the game. I don't need com- to compulsively make sure that I get something watched to feel like I'm on pace. I'm already on pace. I'm ahead of pace already by four films, you know, by almost by more than a half of a week. I'm ahead of pace. So it was good to kind of fight that compulsion for once. I think it's maybe one of the first days that I just haven't watched anything. <laughs> first days I skipped, but it's worth, you know, the day before I watched three. So it's like, I need to allow myself to do that. I need to give myself more of a break when I have the opportunity to. Because I did. I kind of felt guilty all day. I was sitting there like, eh, you know. But I did on Saturday watch Rambo Last Blood. Before the end of the day, <laughs> which I watched on Blu-ray disc, I bought that Rambo collection so long ago, and it's been taunting me from my pile. The I bought the Rambo collection maybe like a month after buying the Rocky collection. I watched Rocky one and was like, fuck yeah. And I managed to blow through the Rocky movies because I was just obsessed. The Rambo collection, it's been kind of, you know, it's been slow going where I've been like, eh, 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 eh. you know, it's, it's not Rocky. Um, 
I think even people who love Rambo would say it's not Rocky. I also think now that we've reached the end of the collection and I've finally been able to take the collection out of the pile of shame and put it on the shelf with the other movies. Here's what I would say about the Rambo series. The first one is magnificent, as is the case with Rocky. But unlike, you know, I, I will, I, I'll take back what I was going to say because Rambo 2 fucking rules too. Um, it's a different type of movie. It's not like a surprisingly deep drama about the way that we treated dudes after the Vietnam war and sort of like a distinctly like anti-cop movie and like so many like cool things that you aren't expecting when you, you think, you know what first blood is having not seen it. Um, and Rocky's kind of the same way. And then Rocky two rules and Rambo two rules. And then Rambo three is like, yeah, I mean, I guess. And Rocky three is, I, I guess also kind of one where people are like, yeah, you know, I mean, I guess. And then unlike Rocky, there's a, the huge gap happens after Rambo three. Although. Yeah. Rambo. Rambo, Rambo two, Rambo three or first blood. Rambo two. Right? Am I thinking that right? First Blood, it's the naming convention for the series is awful. Awful. First Blood, Rambo 2. You see, even I got to look it up because now I'm second guessing it. First Blood, Rambo, First Blood Part 2, Rambo 3, then Rambo 4 is just called Rambo again, even though Rambo 2 was called Rambo, First Blood Part 2, and then Rambo 5 is called Rambo Last Blood, which I actually think rules. Rambo Last Blood is great. First Blood, you know, I'm not going to throw anything against First Blood. It's based on the book. You know, the fact that the movie exists at all in the state that it does is wild. Um, we're supposed to be way more dialogue. There isn't. It's also, it's so funny because people have sort of like um, given so much credit. You know, when I love the John Wick series, John Wick is my favorite movie series of all time. And so, like, I will give the, those movies all the credit in the world, but people kind of th- credit John Wick with inventing this idea of, like, the action hero that is the uh, slasher villain. You know what I mean? This sort of unstoppable dude who's never in danger and, like, the bad guys fuck with the wrong guy or whatever. Uh, and it, it's not. It's Rambo. Uh, if you watch Rambo, like, that's what Rambo is. Um, that's what first blood is anyway. And then first blood at the end has this, you know, all of these other like super big emotions in it that just make it crazy. But Rambo, uh, all of the Rambo movies are like that, uh, up through, you know, literally all of it. You never once are like, Oh no, Rambo's in trouble. He's not, he's not at any point. The bad guys are the ones that are in trouble. 
uh, you're locked in here with me kind of thing or whatever. Like that's all it's Rambo um, down to the fact that he doesn't hardly talk at all, which again, John Wick. Um, so, <laughs> and I enjoyed that aspect of it. You know, I like those types of movies where I'm like, Oh shit. You know, the fucking, the bad guy's fucked up. You know, he's got a big knife in the movies too. And I feel like that goes a long way for me. I fuck. Yeah. You know, uh, but Rambo last blood, I think is fine. People give it too much flack. I don't know what I would do with the character at that age. I feel like it was pretty good. I, I and you know the last twenty minutes where they go like full Tarantino and it's just a ridiculously gory violence fest. And there's kind of hints of it earlier in the movie with the way that he treats people. Like oddly, way more fucking violent than he's ever been. Like sadistically, weirdly violent in his old age, which is funny as hell. Uh, you get to the end of it, and not only is it like sadistically, weirdly violent. A lot of the tra- uh, the traps that he's because he kind of lures him back to his home base and then sets all these booby traps like uh, a, an X-rated uh, home alone. Basically, uh, a lo- what I loved is having remembered First Blood because I watched it God, probably a year ago now. A lot of the traps that he used against the dudes in Last Blood uh, were uh, traps that I, you know sort of like more refined versions of traps that he used in first blood, which I thought was really cool. And something that you could do with the character that was like, Oh, that's, you know, kind of cool. Violent callback (laughs) to what he was doing earlier. But, uh, yeah, you know, I love that. I thought that was really cool. And, uh, so yeah. Uh, Rambo last blood four stars. Is it, is it worth it? I mean, you got to go in knowing that it's a B movie, that it's not, it's not an A film. It's uh, going to have this real sort of, uh, oh, I'm going down to fight cartels in Mexico kind of thing where it's just like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, it feels like a departure from But how it would have been so fucking, I mean, I guess I would have liked to have seen that movie too, but it would have been ridiculous if, if the U.S. government had come to him again and been like, hey, I know we've come to you a lot, but like we need... <laughs> fucking 68 year old Sylvester Stallone Rambo to go out. I will say the one thing that bothered me is I would have assumed that Rambo would have held on to the like weird owl hair, uh, into his old age. And instead it's just normal Stallone old guy hair, uh, where he's kind of shorn it up. He didn't put a Rambo wig on to do it. And it's kind of a bummer. I would have liked to have seen him do that. Um, additionally, there were several Things that happened during the story where I was like, okay, I'll talk about it. It's an old movie. It came out in fucking 2019. Rambo goes to Mexico to meet with the, uh, to, to find his surrogate daughter. His surrogate daughter has gone there in, uh, in search of her biological father and the biological father tears her down. She's like, I just want to know why you left us. And he's like, cause I didn't give a, a crap about you. And, but like the surrogate father, like no, or the, the biological father knows Rambo personally, assumedly knows who he is, knows, um, that he's connected to this girl. And I think it would have been so much better, so much more effective from a script, uh, from a story perspective. If she shows up and he's like, you can't be here. Like, uh, and 
has this whole other like air about him about like, I do not want you to talk to me. I am so sorry for the way that you have felt. Um, whatever closure you need, I'll give you, I'll give it to you. But like, uh, I, I don't want nothing to do with you. Um, because it would have sold the like impending day. Like he's like, I don't want to fuck with Rambo. Instead, he's like sort of weirdly brazen about the whole thing. He's very, very rude to her. Like he makes her cry on purpose. And he, I guess his justification is like, oh, I wanted to make it so she wouldn't have to come back. This is what he says to Rambo when Rambo comes back. But like Rambo is like in his face, like I should have fucking broken your neck when you left, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. And the dude's like not really that scared. I, I just think it's the wrong play. Like, I think it would have been uh, so much better play there if she shows up and the dude is, like, scared shitless to be involved with her because he's like, dude, like, ah, if Rambo finds out that I talk to you, he's going he's, he's gonna to kill me. He's going to kill me with a big knife. He's very fond of it, and he has a collection of them. He's going to fucking stab me to death with a giant Bowie knife. But he he doesn't in the movie. He that's not his reaction. I thought that was really weird. But it's great. Rambo Last Blood. Um I would say that I liked Rambo Last Blood more than I liked Rambo Three. I think Rambo Three is the low light of the series. I even think Rambo, as much as I fucking hate the title, from a few years prior, is pretty good in the like, let's do a modern version of a movie we've already made. Um but I, you know, I don't think either of them touch Rambo or Rambo 2. And honestly, I think First Blood on its own is its own thing. Same way with Rocky, where like everything that comes after Rocky is its own thing. It's good in its own right. But just Rocky on its own is is incredible and kind of unlike anything that comes after it. So, yeah, that's what I watched for the week. We're at a total of 83 movies as of the 26th of February. And I couldn't be more excited about it. I think it's going great. But, uh, the best movie this week was Nimona, and it's not close. I actually think, you know, with the best movie of the year so far was uh, that we'd watched. I had it as the uh, One Love, which I really loved. Um, Nimona smokes it. It's going to be tough because, oh, man, what an absolutely brilliant movie. I, I just can't get over it, man. So good. I picked a movie for the wheel this week. We're going to do the wheel, the Tubi wheel. Every week, if you're new to the show, every week uh, we put a bunch of movies from Tubi. It's a free streaming service that anybody can access on the wheel. And then we all watch the movie together. Um, I have a th- There's so much stupid trash movies on Tubi at this point. It's like what they cater in. I have given up on like adding actually good films to this every now and then. If I see one, I will do it. But honestly, a lot of times I'll see one on there and I'm like, you know, that's a good movie that I should watch, but do I want to put it on the wheel or do I want to just watch that movie at some, like make a note to watch that movie at some point? I think that's probably better than to put it on the wheel, you know? And so, you know, in a lot of cases I've done that instead uh, and saved the real, like, kind of stupid stuff for the wheel. 
Um, and this week is no exception. I'm adding the Velosa Pastor uh, to the wheel. That's it's exactly what it sounds like. It is a uh, a, a man of God who, uh, according to the synopsis, finds uh, a, 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 a the ability to uh, transform into a dinosaur. Uh, we have to see it. It's on the wheel. We're going to spin the wheel in just a moment here and find out what we're going to watch this week. I hope that you guys had a great time with new nuns and big guns because I sure did. And uh, let's give it a spin. Let's see where we are. Wow, what a great result. I didn't go over all the movies on the list before we do it, so we're going to do it. Do the right thing. Forbidden planet. Don't fuck in the woods. We are the flesh. How to plan an orgy in a small town. The sisters, brothers, death sport, queen and slim bitch slap and the Velocipastor. It landed on. We are the flesh. This is a week one movie. I just want to make sure before we do this. That we, in fact, still have this movie on Tubi. (laughs) Interesting. We Are the Flesh from 2016. It's in Espanol. I hope that it has English subtitles. It sure does. Two young nomadic, uh, two young nomadic siblings, struggling to survive in a post-apocalyptic city, strike a dangerous bargain with a depraved man in exchange for shelter. Interesting. We will have to see what that is. Uh, I'm che- I checked to make sure that Tubi had it because uh, a couple of weeks ago we tried to watch Runaway Train from the Wheel. That was also a Week One movie, and it just wasn't on the service anymore. So it was like, oh well, fuck. Um, but we are the flesh is now officially our pick for this week for the wheel of Tubi. Thanks for playing everybody. Uh, and we'll be back, uh, next week with, a uh, a new selection from the wheel that brings us more or less to the end of the show. Thank you so much for joining me this week. We're having a fun time talking about movies. Um, we're getting so close. We're getting close to the hundred mark now. We're within 25 movies of the 100 mark. We're almost, uh, we're getting to the point where we're almost a month ahead. Uh, that's so exciting for me to be blowing through this, to be really making this happen, to be cutting a breakneck pace that, quite frankly, is frightening to some, I think. Aggressive, one might say. Um, and I'm excited to get there. Uh, we're going to push even further. I mean, we have. Do we have one week left? That's the question. By Sunday is going to be the third. I mean, we'll be past 90 on the third. So by the end of the second month, we should be a month ahead. I would think. Easy. We're going to make it happen. It's going to be fucking sick. You guys are going to be like, what a a fucking badass. Sitting there watching so many movies. I don't think that that's what you're going to think. But (laughs) if you want to follow along, 
if you want to uh, uh, talk about the movies as I'm watching them, Instagram, uh, Letterboxd. If you're not on Letterboxd and you love movies, you got to be on Letterboxd. It's the shit. Uh, all of these things, all of these links, they're in the description. Uh, thank you for joining us. I'll be back next week with another update. Until then, sin every day. <laughs>